scripture today comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Have you ever wanted more money? Maybe you found the perfect apartment and it was just a little bit out of your price range, or maybe way out of your price range, and you thought, if only I had more money. Maybe your dream vacation is just out of reach and you think, if only I had more money. Maybe you wish that you could go out to eat and not have to consider the prices on the menu. If only I had more money. You know what I think would be fun? Going to Paris for the weekend just to go shopping for clothes. I think it would be a blast. If only I had more money. Our passage for today is fundamentally a warning. It's a warning against the desire to be rich. And this is an important warning for all of us here today, and here's why. Because to one degree or another, we all desire to be rich. And maybe you're thinking, I don't know, I don't really desire to be rich. I just want a little bit more than I have. But look at what the Apostle Paul says is the opposite of the desire to be rich. He warns us against this desire and he shows us the antidote. It's in verse 8. It says, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. That's a radical statement. If we have food and clothing, that's it. With these things, we will be content. Now, it's not necessarily wrong to enjoy expensive clothes or to go on your dream vacation, but the question is, if you never had those things, would you be content? If all you had were the clothes you're wearing now and just enough food for today, would you be content? Or would you think, if only I had more money? To one degree or another, we all have this desire to be rich. And so this is an important warning for all of us. And here it is. Here's the, the main point of the passage. This is the warning. The desire to be rich leads to ruin. So this is a very serious warning. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the warning and then the antidote. The warning and then the antidote. And here's why we're talking about this today in our Faith and Work sermon series. It's related to the motivation for work. Why do you work? Do you work 
in order to become rich? That's the driving factor of many in New York City. Or do you work from a place of contentment and for something far greater than earthly riches? So first, the warning. Take a look at uh, verse 9. This is the main point of the passage. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. There's no shortage of stories that illustrate this truth. Take, for example, Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of Theranos. When she was nine years old, she told her family that she was determined to become a billionaire. And 21 years later, her dream became a reality. In 2014, she became the world's youngest self-made female billionaire, worth $4.5 billion. But just one year later, it all came crashing down. In an attempt to realize this dream of becoming a billionaire, she had lied about the accuracy of her company's technology. By 2018, her company had collapsed, and earlier this year, she was convicted of four counts of fraud. According to Forbes, her net worth is now zero dollars. Her desire to be rich led to ruin. And notice how in this verse there's a progression. It starts with desire, and that leads to temptation. And that temptation leads to a snare. And that snare leads to senseless and harmful desires, and those desires plunge people into ruin. I imagine that's exactly how it happened for Elizabeth Holmes. It started with a seemingly innocent desire from a nine-year-old to become a billionaire. I'm sure her family probably thought it was cute, maybe even admired her ambition. But that desire led her to a temptation to lie about her company's technology. And I'm sure once she started lying, she felt like she was caught in a snare. and The only way out was to continue to lie until her company's technology caught up hoping that it would catch up before she got exposed. And so this temptation to lie led to this snare that led to these harmful desires to continue to lie until one day she was plunged into ruin. And the same thing can easily happen to us. Even if we weren't determined to become a billionaire when we were nine years old, our hearts are just as susceptible to this desire to be rich. In fact, when we think it can't happen to us, that's when we're really in danger. Ruin doesn't happen overnight. What starts with a desire to have just a little bit more than I have now leads to temptation, which leads to a snare and harmful desires that can plunge us into ruin. I'm sure Elizabeth Holmes didn't expect it would happen to her. We don't expect it will happen to us either. But this passage warns us that the desire to be rich is a dangerous thing. It leads to ruin. 
And this passage isn't just a warning about ruin in this life. Some, like Elizabeth Holmes, desire to be rich, and it leads to their very public downfall. But many more who desire to be rich seem to suffer no consequence at all. They get richer and richer, maybe even abuse their wealth or use it to oppress others. But this passage isn't just a warning against ruin in this life. Look again at verse 9. The Greek words translated as ruin and destruction are words that usually denote spiritual ruin and eternal destruction. This passage warns us that even if we escape ruin in this life, this desire to be rich, left unchecked, leads to our eternal ruin. Verse 10 tells us why. Take a look. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And here's why this desire leads to eternal ruin. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This desire to be rich leads to eternal ruin because it causes us to wander from our faith. And why does it cause us to wander from our faith? Because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Did you know that you can change the color of a flower? With certain kinds of light-colored flowers, you can change it to become any color you'd like. It's simple. All you have to do, take a flower, put it in water, add some dye, and within a few hours, the, color of the flower absorbs this new color. It soaks up this colored water through its stem, and it changes the flower. Now, that's a stem, not exactly a root, like in our passage here, but it's the same principle. The root determines what the flower becomes. If it's soaking up red dye, it becomes red. If it's soaking up yellow dye, it becomes yellow. And here's how this applies to you. Your root determines whom you become. If your root is soaking up a love for money, if your soul is constantly saying, if only I had more money, that determines whom you become. You're in danger of slowly but surely becoming filled with all kinds of evil and wandering from your faith. Why? Because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, what does this phrase mean? It doesn't mean that the love of money is the root of every single evil thing. There are plenty of other roots to evil as well. It could be our own pride, our own selfishness. What it means is that the love of money is the root of all kinds of categories of sin. For example, we can see how love for money can lead to us stealing, breaking the Eighth Commandment. And we can see how it could lead to us uh, breaking the Tenth Commandment. Thou shall not envy. We envy the luxurious apartment that we see or the lavish vacation our friend took last week. But this can lead to all sorts of other sins as well. And we said that we were going to apply this passage to our work. So think about some of the ways that this warning applies to your work. 
For one, a love for money can lead to us breaking the fourth commandment. Instead of making Sundays a day of rest, we make Sundays a day to catch up on our work or to get a head start on the week. And a love for money can lead to us breaking the fifth commandment. When God told us to honor our father and mother, it was a synecdoche for all of our earthly relationships. It's a command for us to honor all of our family, friends, neighbors, etc. And a love for money can easily lead to us breaking that commandment. Here's how. I'm sure you've seen it. We spend more time working, and we, when we less and less time with our family and friends, we neglect these other relationships at the expense of working to make more and more and more. A love for money can also lead to us breaking the ninth commandment, do not lie. We can be tempted to embellish our resume or exaggerate our performance on a project in order to get a raise. And most importantly, a love for money can lead to us breaking the first commandment, to have no other gods but the Lord. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will love the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We need to heed this warning against this desire to be rich because a love for money can lead us astray from God. It can seep into our roots and cause us to sin against others and against Him. And slowly, maybe without even realizing it, we drift further and further away from God. The desire to be rich leads to ruin. What started as nine-year-old Elizabeth Holmes' seemingly innocent desire led ultimately to her downfall. What starts with a seemingly innocent desire in our hearts for just a little bit more can lead to temptation, to a snare, until we're plunged into ruin. That's the warning of this passage. So what's the antidote? How do we avoid this desire to be rich? It's in verse 6. Take a look. But godliness with contentment is great gain. The antidote to the desire to be rich is to be content. And this really is a desirable thing. I think we would all love to feel content. We don't like feeling like we need more. We would love to feel like we have enough to be content with what we have. I mean, imagine how peaceful your life would be if you were content. Imagine how much less anxious you'd be. Imagine the freedom you'd feel. So what's the secret? It's really great in all, Pastor David. Don't desire to be rich, be content. Okay, well, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. This passage shows us two keys to contentment. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at. The first key to contentment 
is to reorient your perspective. To reorient your perspective. Take a look at verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. This verse reorients our perspective. How? By reminding us that this life is not all there is. That there's something beyond it, something eternal. And our earthly riches won't follow us there. Now see, if you only think about the here and now, then it makes sense to seek wealth. If this life is all there is, then absolutely. Make as much money as you can so that you can afford that vacation, so that you can go and afford that apartment, so that you never even have to think about money again. But if there's a life beyond this one, that reorients our perspective. It changes our focus from temporary, earthly wealth to true, lasting wealth. When we contemplate seeing God face to face, beholding his glory, and receiving blessing beyond comprehension, suddenly earthly riches don't seem so significant. It's not what motivates us. We're not particularly impressed by it. It becomes almost an afterthought. It's petty compared to what's in store. We become far less concerned about wealth in this age because we're far more concerned with the treasure promised us in the next. The first key to contentment is to reorient your perspective. But now this, of course, is easier said than done. Because here's the problem. There are always things trying to orient our perspective back to earthly riches. The things we watch, the feeds we scroll through, the people we know, these things influence us. Sometimes their explicit goal is to make us feel discontent. By this, then you'll be happy. It's a struggle to reorient our perspective. So how do we overcome this? We overcome this through the ordinary ways God has given us to grow our faith. When we worship on Sunday mornings, that reorients our perspective. When we pray and meditate on Scripture, that reorients our perspective. God uses these ordinary things to slowly but surely direct our hearts to himself. Now, how do we apply all this to our work? Since we're no longer focused on earthly wealth, does that mean that we should all quit our jobs tomorrow and take a vow of poverty? I don't think so. Reorienting to this perspective doesn't mean we don't work. It means that we work with eternity in view. Instead of working for earthly riches, we work to please God and for the good of others. And that could change our life in big and small ways. Here's one big way it could change your work. When you work not in order to get rich, 
but from a place of contentment, then maybe it frees you up to consider taking a job that pays less. Something that pays less, but that you find more fulfilling or more in line with your values. Or here's another way that it could change your everyday life in a big way. Maybe your family needs you and you decide to take a step back from your career in order to spend more time with them. This new motivation for work also affects the small things in our everyday life. If you work to please God, then maybe you stay at your current job, but you advocate for your values, even when it costs you. If you work to please others, maybe you take on that project that no one else wants to do, even if it goes unnoticed by your boss. So here's where we're at. This passage warns us that the desire to be rich leads to ruin. The antidote is to be content. And the first key to contentment is to reorient your perspective. Reorient your perspective to what is beyond this life. The second key to contentment is to redefine your goal. To redefine your goal. I grew up in a suburb of Chicago, and I remember when I was in middle school and I started mowing lawns to make money. I suddenly had this disposable income that I never had before, and it was amazing. I was thrilled. And one way that I chose to spend this newfound money was by affording my brother and me a fun, fr- a fun Friday night. So I would rent us a video game, and I would buy a bunch of gummy worms for us to devour while we played. And it was so much fun. I loved it. But the thing is, it quickly became normal. It quickly became not a treat, but just something ordinary. And that's the problem. The problem is that the moment we start spending more on luxury and convenience, we get used to it. That meal that we had or that vacation that we took felt like a luxury before, but now it just feels normal. There's a word for this or a phrase for this. It's called lifestyle creep. I don't know about you, but I've seen that in my own life. See, we think if I just had dot, 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 then I'd be content. But the truth is, as soon as we reach that goal, we quickly become discontent again. We're never content because we don't so much want a certain lifestyle as we want more. The refrain never ends. If only I had more money. We can never be content that way. But verse 8 shows us how we can be content. Look at how it defines the goal for contentment. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. The second key to contentment is to redefine your goal. It's not about how much money you make or don't make. It's about redefining your goal. We must be content with food and clothes. And this is related to the first key for contentment. 
when we reorient our perspective to what is beyond this life, then we can be content with food and clothes. Because these other things don't mean that much to us. If we have God, we can be content with food and clothing. And imagine if you truly were content with just food and clothing. Imagine how grateful you'd feel every day. Wow! Thank you, God, for that amazing meal you just blessed me with, so far above and beyond what I need. And imagine what people would think if you truly were content with food and clothing. That's not normal. What would your coworkers and your friends think? It would point them to God, to the source of our contentment, to the one whom we value far above all earthly riches. And let's apply this to our work. Does being content with food and clothing mean we don't work hard or that we don't work long hours? I mean, if all I need is food and clothing, I certainly don't need to work 60 to 70 hours a week. I could afford that with a part-time job. But here's the thing. Being content with food and clothing doesn't mean we don't work hard. It means our motivation is different. Instead of working to become rich, we work to please God and serve others. And so you still work hard, you're still ambitious, but it's not for your own sake. It's not to become rich. It's to honor God and serve others. And so being content could lead you to working less, absolutely. But, and you might not be expecting me to say this, but it could also lead to you working more. Think about it. If your motivation for work is simply a paycheck, and you can get that paycheck without taking on that project, maybe you don't take on that project. Maybe if something makes you look good to your boss, you do it. And if you can slack without your boss knowing, you slack. But when our motivation for work is more than a paycheck, it changes how we work. It could mean that you take on more responsibility to, to contribute more to your company and more to your team. The question isn't so much how much you work, but why you work. What's your motivation? Do you work to become rich, or do you work from a place of contentment for the glory of God and the good of others? So here's what we've seen in this passage. The main point is the warning. The desire to be rich leads to ruin. The antidote is to be content. The first key to contentment is to reorient our perspective to what is beyond this life. The second key to contentment is to redefine our goal. We must be content with food and clothing. But we still have a big problem. The problem is that it's a struggle to reorient our perspective to God. Our hearts are so easily captivated by earthly wealth. And so instead of being content with food and clothing, we say, 
if only I had more money. This desire to be rich is something we're all susceptible to. It's something that to one degree or another we all have. And this desire to be rich is a root of all kinds of evil. It leads us to sin against each other, and it leads us to sin against God. And for our sins, we deserve the wrath that this passage, the ruin that this passage warns us against. But the good news is that there is one who has borne that ruin on our behalf. Jesus Christ was rich beyond measure. In this chapter of Timothy, it says that from all eternity, he dwelt in unapproachable light. And yet he was content to be born a man. Not just a man. He wasn't born to a king or to a wealthy business person. He was born to a poor woman from Palestine. He was content with simple food and clothes. And he was content because during his 30 years on this earth, he never once lost perspective of what is beyond this life. When the devil tempted him by saying, look at all the kingdoms of this world. If you worship me, I will give all of this to you. Jesus replied, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God only. His perspective was not on the glories of this life, but on the glory beyond it. The great wonder of Christianity is that Jesus Christ, though he was God, emptied himself, became poor, and died a criminal's death on a cross that he might give us riches beyond measure. Let us set our eyes on him. Only with our eyes set on him can we become content and only with our eyes on him can we be forgiven for the times we are not? Let's pray. God, forgive us for the times when we desire not you, but earthly riches. We confess that a love of money has filled our hearts with all kinds of evil. Thank you for sending your Son, rich beyond measure to live a humble life of obedience, that through his death and resurrection we might not suffer ruin, but take hold of abundant life. By your Holy Spirit, fill us up with the joy of that life here and now, and reorient our hearts to look to the day when we behold your glory face to face. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.